there's there's going to be some hot takes on this episode. And to get all the light and breezy stuff out of the way, I got a normal haircut today by actual hairdressers. So you did. It looks good. Thank you. Um, I didn't. Hence the cap. I didn't, but I don't care. Uh, I think you've fully just grown into those. Look, you're going to just master the quarantine look. Hey. Um, well, Michael's embraced like the Spielberg mugshot kind of thing with the uh, hat and the headphones. Yes. The thing is, I never really noticed how much my stuff had grown until like I took a picture before and after I went uh, to my Turkish barbers, Cool Cuts. They're a great place. Before quarantine, like it was always a great time. Like the main fellow there, he's like, here, Kamaski, nice to have you here. Can we get you some coffee, some quality streets? Gives you like the full service, trims the beard, trims my thick eyebrows because apparently I have thick eyebrows for some reason. I mean, I love that for you. Yeah, I actually, it is. That's, that's good stuff. And my Turkish barbers does the same thing. It's like, oh, Michael, you still working away? Do you want like a wee cup of tea, a cup of coffee? If I went into the hoop, not naming, if I went to that uh, not branded barbers at the bottom of my street, it's like, what do you want? Haircut? Sweet. Sit down. All right. See you yeah. later. Bye. I want is to it like, one of those places that churns out the exact same look for everyone? Oh, remember when I had long hair? Yeah. Oh, those were like I, early days. Like when I started growing that out when I was like 12 or 13. I needed a trim because it was getting unruly before mm-hmm. I just accepted that my hair grows out and not down. So yeah. I went into the barbers and said, hey, can I just get a trim? I want to keep my length, but I need it like cut down so that it doesn't look like an afro. Uh-huh. Can you please just trim it? And then I came out looking like essentially like Peter's length. <laughs> I was like, you have butchered my hair, sir. Yeah. The Her second mind. I see anybody go doing something wrong, I'm like, hi, quick question. What length is that? You can you look like, no. Yeah. I, I, I'm sure Mark's the exact same. If I'm in a barber's, even if they are absolutely butchering my hair, I wait until they go, so uh, what do you think, mate? As they back away and they're finished. And I go, yeah, it's great. Even though I'm crying inside. I can't imagine you with long hair anymore. Because like for the first term of college, that's what you had. And then when you came back from Christmas, we were all like, who the fuck's this? I got pictures. What did you do to Michael? Killed him. You see, that made it sound like as if that I always say that there's a problem, because like as if there is one, but there isn't. You see, the girl just knows how to do my hair, and she asks me if I ever want any changes, and I'm like, oh, you can do this. And then she's like, what do you think? And I'm like, you can go more, you can go left, you can do whatever, do you know what I mean? So it's like, we have a rapport. Peter's high maintenance. Yeah, like, there's um, always, like, that one hairdresser, like, you can trust with stuff like that. And, like, I mentioned, the guy who's there is, like, really nice. And they do have their measures in place. Like, officially, they can only have seven in at once. And they are wearing face masks and gloves. But they still get the job done relatively well. And I was glad for this because, well, for one, look, Irish mothers, you know, you're doing the best that you can. But I don't trust yous with uh, hairdressing. Just, like... Oh, we're just going to trim it, clips my ear. Cheating profusely onto the floor. Also, I, I could never trust myself. Like, I had a really weird incident at A-levels because, like I mentioned earlier, you know, thick eyebrows. You know, normal characteristic, nothing, like, unusual. And I had, like, maybe one or two, like, really just pulled out hairs. And I went, look, I'll, I'll just clip them off. So I, you know, just got usual pair of scissors, just snip them off, and I went... You know what? I, I'm feeling confident enough of this. And then the next time, I was like, all right, just time for one. 
I snipped, but I actually pulled out like a big load of them. And so when I made the cuts, it looked like there was a full missing line. Oh, that's pretty um, badass, though. He slit his eyebrow. That's 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 pretty badass stuff. You could put me in front of a Tesco Express with a hoodie, and I'd be one of those like, "Yeah, come at me, bro." <laughs> like it was unintentional, and like I was really embarrassed with it at the time. And I thought, eh, I hope no one notices. I kept to myself a lot of the time in A levels, but generally, some people looked at me in the hallway, really concerned. They're just like. Mark, are you all right? Did you get in a fight or something? It was like, uh, no, no, I'm fine. It was just an accident. No, <laughs> uh, it's a fight. There's <laughs> the other guy. <laughs> That's what we should do. We should just build up the potential rumor and make it go out of proportion to make us seem incredible. You're a UFC fighter. Oh, yeah, just beat McGregor anytime. Uh, where do you think McGregor learned it all? Uh, from the master myself. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to Talking Crap About, the only film and video game podcast run and approved by Gingers. And the half ginger. And a non-ginger. Unfortunately, okay. it has been exposed that Peter isn't actually ginger. Yeah. I mean, technically, neither am I. I just have a ginger beard. Mm. My, influ ginger. my influence <laughs> will slowly get to them. I say this because if you're watching this on the YouTube channel when this goes up, you'll have noticed we've had some new art that's just gone up in it. We had these really cute character icons done by Lost Fox Art on Instagram. She has just opened up an Etsy as well. She does a lot of cute Pokemon, Final Fantasy, and Adventure Zone stickers and prints. And she's also up for commissions as well. Be sure to check her page out. She does a lot of cool stuff there. She did very well with the Wii Avatar. Thank you. Uh, yes, generally, I was really thrilled when I got them for the first time. Because, like, usually when you send something through to an artist like a rough idea, you're not really sure what the end product is going to be. You look at someone's particular style and you're just like, I wonder how well, like, my little description of it's a head goes through to them. <laughs> no, a head, uh, he's a ginger beard. Uh... <laughs> yeah, the other one just, is just fabulous. Here's, here's my main question. Did you send pictures of us to her or did you just describe it? Well... She knew what I looked like because we did A-levels together and we go to cons a lot of the time. So, like, she already has a rough idea of my face, which is a very strange, unnatural thing. Stop it. Uh, but for used to, I basically just sent her through, like, the profile pics uh, from Facebook. And that was enough of an idea uh, for, like, personality and how they would look color-wise. Yeah. I was going to say, because, I mean, hot damn, those eyes are... Perfect. Also, if you, I thought it was just going to be, oh yeah, I described Peter, and that that is that picture is Peter. It is, yeah. You can't see it. Turned on yeah. your brightness, Never. <laughs> no, I, I think I'll get the idea. So, how's everyone doing this week? Oh, you know, working away, holding a hurling stick in the background, weeping uncontrollably. Stop it. I had a bit in work recently where uh, I was back at the checkouts just doing a few things and 
We were at the paying stage. It was a mother and her child. She went, right, now pass this money here to the nice man. That went through my head and I went, uh, man, I'm only, oh God, I'm 21. A-levels was three years ago. What am I doing? It's when they call you, sir, you're like, sir, oh, wait, you're talking about me. Wow. No, I had that after A-levels as well, because I occasionally bumped into some of my teachers there, and it's just like, Mark, it's fine, you can call me Glenn. I'm just like, no, that's not all right, I'm calling you, I'm calling you sir. Oh, I yeah, my, my old history teacher was like, right, lads, see, once you're all done with this here, if I see you on a night out, and you just call me sir, I'm gonna hit you. I'm like, oh, okay. No problem, sir. I mean, <laughs> ma'am, I mean... No problem. <laughs> I'm gonna buy you a pint, sir. I mean... I mean, ma'am, I mean, uh, mister, I mean... <laughs> I mean, lad, I don't know. Sean? I think it definitely depends on the type of environment itself, because I remember in A-levels, they always want to try and put it into your head that you are becoming adults, that you should be treated like this, but you still need to call the mister or missus, and you still need to pass to go to the toilet. Yeah. I, I just called them by their first names. You shit on I, my schedule. I was like, Joan, thank you so much. Real OGs, you're listening. Yeah. Yeah. I'm talking about. <laughs> and after that point, like when you get into stuff like college, university, the sort of relationships you have with them are a lot more casual. So you do end up calling them by first names and stuff because it is you're at that stage. You can like casually converse with them as like a person rather than you can call it casual. Then I mean, wow. we call it casual, Peter. Yours was confrontational. <laughs> Mine wasn't every, confrontational. Every sentence you said to one of our lecturers ended when, but okay. <laughs> I think suddenly knowing a lot of these people in person and also just in social media as well, like suddenly made me think about the things I'm posting. Like for instance, my editing teacher follows me on Twitter. At first I was like, wow. Um, Firstly, she is like one of those cool, awesome teachers that really encourages you to like get into your subject and go around it. Literally, the first day we had her, she was testing the audio and she was playing lo-fi anime music. So it's one of the girl at the desk just working away. And from that moment, I was like, yeah, this this teacher's pretty good. And so, you know, when she followed me on Twitter, I was like, oh, okay, I'm just gonna just be casual about my posts and I put up Animal Crossing ones early on in March and she's like oh Mark these are so cute I went oh, thank you uh, I hate that I'm sorry like what cute how dare you if you plan and uh, following me be like be warned that you will get anything that I plan on like I'm not going to tailor make my stuff based on someone yeah he doesn't like I'm just going to post like if I want to post I will post to be fair, I haven't posted in a very long time. Posted in a very long time. When it comes to me with like the photos and stuff, like I really just sort of do what I feel at the time. Like the last few ones I did were just situations with the weather and stuff. Like we had a big storm that came through recently, and I got and I got a few shots of our garden bench outside in the rain, and I just thought, you know, this looks cool. I'll just edit around that. So like sometimes yeah, when you're posting something, had a big storm coming. Oh yes. <laughs> Everything. Ends with an oh yes. <laughs> oh, I love those things. Not even twenty minutes Why in. Why shop in ten days. places when you can shop at one? I don't need friends. They disappoint me. <laughs> <laughs> I need friends, and I also need co-hosts for this show <laughs> because we have sections to go through, and this is our first one. 
This is Binge Report. What's so, your name? <laughs> <laughs> welcome that, back to the kennel. Hi. That bit is staying in. It is. <laughs> oh no. There was this niche little musical that went up on Disney Plus. Just <laughs> niche. That's what I was doing. <laughs> Yeah, it's called Hamilton or something. You know, it's about founding fathers of America, just out there niche Would stuff. Would you say that that is niche? What's your name, man? It's not anymore. Guys, I had a Hamilton phase. Oh, my God. There we go. You see, so that isn't really niche. Because musical theater kids, hi, how are you? Nice to meet you. We have to, like, know what different musical theater performances there was. And Hamilton was there. Little Shop of Horrors, all of them type of like ones that not everyone would know, but people know. Does that make sense? People who yeah. like theater would know it. Yeah, and like I was not the biggest into musical theater. Like I knew of like productions and stuff like that, but Hamilton, like that got really big in like maybe 2015, 2016, I think. And like yeah. it was being recognized by people who weren't even into that sort of entertainment. And the weird thing with it is that. I got so into it, like uh, the songs, like My Shot, Skylar Sisters, Battle of Yorktown, Right Hand Man, particular favorite of mine. And I watched so many of the animatics that sprung up over that early time. So it wasn't really animations. It was more just people like doing fan art in consecutive order of stuff. When they do a song like Satisfied, it is like them drawing a sequence. But, you know, it's just... It's not really done as an animation, it's more just back-to-back drawings, you know, to give the illusion of it. Oh, like animatics, where it's just still frames every, maybe, 10, yeah, that, 5 seconds. that's the worst. And, you know, I was completely in love with it, I had that phase. The strangest thing was, I'd never actually seen the actual stage show it was all based on. It never really came over here, but I'd always, like, seen bits and pieces of it. It just recently went up on Disney+. Plus. This is the full musical start to finish. It even has an intermission at the halfway point. We never had intermissions at the cinema in our time, so that that was an experience for me. I went, oh, great, I can finally get out for a piss. (laughs) I got got 60 seconds to pee. (laughs) Actually, I was going in and Remember, this is coming from someone who really was not into musical theater in the way that I don't really know how the standard formula for it is. Like, I wouldn't be well-versed in, like, terminology or how they're presented and stuff. I liked what I saw. Like, the lighting they use throughout is really nice and dynamic. It changes with the mood. Like, that's always something I really take a lot of consideration into when I'm looking at stuff. I have a question for you. Was Was the actual... Disney Plus show, was it essentially a recording of on stage or was it like? It was a recording of the stage play done back when it was done in 2016. Like it says below yeah. in the Correct. opening credits, like Royal Theatre 2016. The OG right. Broadway cast, Lin-Manuel yeah. Miranda. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what's her name that does his wife? Uh, she was so good in it. I'm, I'm genuinely struggling to what? think of names right now. What an amazing actress. They incorporate, like, let's say a lot of cinematic techniques and camera work to give the bigger, grandiose scale to it all. You obviously know it is a stage production. Like, it is the same sort of steps and background, and you can tell that there's people sort of just moving around, pushing, like, the props around, but... Yeah. You buy the illusion of it. The charm. Yeah, definitely. 
when you go into any sort of medium like films, video games, books, or in this case, a musical, you're sort of willing to buy the stuff on screen as long as you believe it. Like, even though there are people clearly there putting props around and pushing stuff in the background or being hidden among the extras, you're like, I believe the reality I am in right now watching this. Yeah, I think the whole point, though, of theatre and the whole point of stage presence is that you have to be able to get the audience's attention on a level that allows you to be transported into that world. Because there was a performance where it is similar to what Michael had recommended uh, with the two comedians on stage. Oh, the Schwartz. Exactly. You're completely transported along with them on their whole wee quest. Yeah, regardless of uh, if there's any props or anything else that's coming in, you can believe... You can believe it because they're selling it so well. Her name is Philippa Sue, or Sue, by the way. Brilliant actress. Um, Brilliant, phenomenal. When she cried, I cried. One thing that's popped up recently, because obviously with this coming back into the mainstream again, is there's discussions on how the show itself is representing, you know, not just the minorities in it, but also just parts of history. Mm -hmm. Now, I obviously don't know a lot about American history, but I'm also Mm -hmm. willing to bet that, like, the moment this was over, I don't think anyone believed that the Founding Fathers of America were actually rapping about, you know, slave liberation or stuff like that. Well, the, uh, the well, the, the, it's not a script writer. Is it a script writer? Either way. Lin-Manuel Miranda said that if anybody's coming into this thinking, oh, I don't know anything about American history, his advice to them is, neither do we. Yeah, like, a large majority of the cast are, like, people of different ethnicities and backgrounds. Like, I think he himself said something along the lines of, it's a story about America's past told from America now. Mm-hmm. It's so good, though. It's, it is a very, at, this, at this moment in time, it is a very important thing to watch, I think. Yes, and some people will bring up the fact it does omit certain, like, questionable parts about the real-life figures, and... I do think that is justifiable in some cases. When you've got this very popular piece of, I'll not say historical fiction, but very much based off it, I get the sense a lot of people will be curious to look into stuff after it's done. Like, you know how there's always, like, biopics or something of famous, like, celebrities or stuff in the past, and then people would look into them and think, hey, this thing didn't really talk about them doing this stuff or that. Yeah, Yeah, when you watch it, it turns out they're a great idiot also. Yeah, like, do you remember that circus one that came out a few years ago with Hugh Jackman? What was it called? British uh, Showman. Yeah. I'll say, I'll say, I think, just a fine <laughs> yes, film, but, like, music itself is phenomenal. But I think those two have a lot of things in common that they're very fantastical takes on their own period of history, and they do leave out some of the more questionable parts of, like, the real-life figures. But... I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing, because when you go into this, you fully accept that, like, yeah, looking at Greatest Showman, they are using spotlights in, like, the 17th or 18th century, wherever it's set, or how they're all suddenly speaking in autotune or something like that. Yeah, exactly. Tightrope. I mean, remember that? That thing was tuned to hell. Also, there's one more time. Tightrope in in The Greatest Showman. That was the duo. No, that was that was that was uh, her his his wife. Anytime she was like walking a tightrope with you, I was like, oh, oh right, that one. That's, yes, Michelle uh, Williams is a Michelle phenomenal. Williams. 
she is said. a phenomenal person and a phenomenal actress. It's just that point. Well, she might have sang it really well on, on on set. But yeah. when they got the post, they were like, they did it with Hugh Jackman as well. I think that can definitely also been mentioned in Hamilton as well because I always listened to it uh, on Spotify before this. You know, that is the cast recording like into a booth with all like the sound effects in place and stuff. And I think there is sort of that jarring disconnect. Like when you go to see a concert or something and you hear the performers and you're like, this doesn't sound as like well tuned as I remember it going up on the radio or something. But that's also kind of the charm of it. You hear it like unfiltered. You hear them giving them all in these like amazing bits of singing or just physical performance and stuff. And if you've never touched Hamilton before, I will give the warning of this, like the mention that it does exclude some stuff is worth noting, but this is one of those all singing, no talking musicals. All of the music is consistently excellent, but if you do get tired of the idea that everyone's constantly singing, I think it can be a bit of a put off. Yeah. If you like jukebox musicals, this is not for you. <laughs> to bring it back to Greater Showman, it does adopt like some of that for its musical sequences, but being structured much more as a film in production and its uh, yeah. execution, there is bits where like, yes, we're going to talk about the narrative. We're going to have like normal dialogue scenes here. And then here's our big showcase singing moment where we put the budget in for, let's say, end of act two or something like that. Mm. So, and this is not meant to be a negative towards Hamilton. I do much prefer it, but uh -huh. I think it is worth just saying this to someone who's just going in with no prior knowledge of the show. Uh-huh. I don't know how to describe. I think the difference between Hamilton and The Greatest Showman is that The Greatest Showman is similar in regards to like a musical because like if we take Hairspray, there is dialogue between almost every song and it's fine. But then we also have other ones like Les Miserables, uh, and then uh, the last five years, I'm pretty sure as well. And of and course, the, the greatest film musical of all time, Cats. Can I end the call here? <laughs> Can I end this? There are much more aesthetically pleasing things than Cats 2019. Just remember that we are all jellical cats according to Madame Judy Dench at the end of the movie, whenever she looks in the camera and I have a small heart attack because I think she's hurting me personally. I feel like she sucks my soul out when she does that move. They're all like, just so wrong and weird and I don't like it. <laughs> Damn it. Two cats in appropriate ways. No, Judy. All right. Oh. To conclude, <laughs> Hamilton is good. Cats is bad. Michael, please talk to us about The Witcher. Oh, yeah, uh, I mean, I've, I've, this is probably my fourth time watching The Witcher. <laughs> As in with Henry Cavill? As in with the beefcake himself, Henry Cavill, yes. <laughs> it's, it's, you know, it going from playing the games religiously to reading the books religiously to watching the show religiously, it's just, they're all so disconnected, but so... Magical. No, I'm trying to think of that, like, they're... They are disconnected, obviously, but like they do meld together. Like you can enjoy the show and the game, or you can enjoy the game and the books, or you can mutually exclusive. That's it. They're not mutually exclusive. And so, like, do you view them um, as individual things, or like, could you see them more as adaptations of each other? The games are individual. The books and the TV shows can be taken into into the one thing. The right. TV show was sort of lauded as more faithful. 
Then, is that the pause screen for The Last of Us? Uh, no. <laughs> uh, for some context, Michael has Final Fantasy VII Remake in the background. Peter has Last of Us. I've got... Everything. Katniss Everdeen. <laughs> I know, for some reason I have that Hunger Games poster. I don't even think I've seen any of those in like six years or something. I thought, you see, if you were just about to say ever, I was actually going to end the call there. Like, that's not even a joke. We've me. had two of those, Peter. We have shit taste. We all have to just deal with it. I have but, only ever seen the first one. Here's the thing with Witcher, though, is that for the longest so time, I figured I should like it. Because, you know, it is hard fantasy. It is just set in this weird fantastical world and it's all like proper violence and stuff. Oh, but, I'm not sure why it's never really been able to click with me as much. And I'm just curious, it's like someone who's never really gotten into the games or touched the books, like is the Netflix show like, would you say it's a good starting point? I'd say it is a good starting point. It's got like enough, I hated, I when they, when they released it, I hated this comparison when everybody's like, oh, if you're, if you've, you know, ran it, if you're sick that Game of Thrones has gone, watch The Witcher. I'd no. say those are two very different beasts. They are very different beasts like you it's Geralt is one of those characters that you like he's such a sarcastic bastard but you love him and he's got like his his his, be, his best friend Yaskir who like bounces off it's you have the straight man and you have the joker not the joker the joker joker hey joker haha -ha, lol awful and they bounce off each other so well so much the only thing that really annoyed me was that is this a spoiler? It's funny for months. Yeah, go ahead. You learn later in the season that the timeline that you've been watching it in is not the right timeline. Like, but you do kind of get hints that I was too stupid to pick up the first time I watched it. And that the series starts with when Siri is a little girl and her grandmother is the queen already. But then the next episode, no, the same episode rather, uh, one of the characters says to Geralt, oh, um, the wee lioness of Sintra just won her first battle. You find out that Geralt's story has been taking place decades before Ciri's story. Ah, right. And then slowly works his way up to when he meets Ciri. And the same thing with Yennefer. Like, her story starts maybe a bit before Geralt's, um, or a bit after. They meet at some point, and then it, like, collapses in on itself, and you get to the point where they, all three of them should meet. And then they don't, and you need to wait on season two. <laughs> so are we talking about Siri from Apple here? Or... No, no, I'm kidding. This is, we I'm can't kidding. have this I'm, many I'm, cross I'm promotions. Like, <laughs> you ever hear about like how the offer of The Witcher, like he was so mad that the games ended up being successful yeah. because he only took like I think it was like one pay cut when the first game got adapted. It's like oh, it's probably not really going to take off, and then. Eventually, it spawned like a really successful brand, and he's now like super pissed that he didn't properly cash in. Oh you know, no, they before. they renegotiated that. He's happy again. Uh, <laughs> I'll have that on the inevitably keep expanding watch list, but we'll get there eventually. Yeah, Peter, I didn't explain it very well. <laughs> eh, don't worry, we're all just on high alert. Together. So, Peter, you've been watching Sucker Punch, is it? I watched Sucker Punch for the first time, and yes, I know you were just about to sing the Egret song, Sucker Punch. I was indeed. You're welcome. But I watched it for the first time, and I know it's been out for years, but I thought it was 
it was actually recommended to me by a friend and we started watching it and it was like oh, wait a minute because it's very cleverly done where it kind of gives you three different um dynamics has, has any of you seen it is yeah. this the Zack snyder thing yeah i believe it is i've never heard anyone say anything positive about it like i know it's acknowledged and every time i see the trailers i'm like how is something like this visually noisy not talked about more you see it isn't right realistically it isn't that great to watch like it's quite um it's quite amateur in regards to other things that were out around that time like, let me just double check here what year that was out i think the last harry potter film came out around that time i think it was 2011 which means Ooh. the year after james cameron came out with avatar now Sucker Punch is on the same level, in fact, probably worse than Spy Kids 3. Don't you dare mock Spy Kids 3. It has its charm. Exactly. This has its own charm, but only because of its story that it comes across. Basically, this, this is all told within the first five to ten minutes anyway, so it's fine. But essentially, this man marries into this widowed woman and her family so this this mother has two daughters the eldest and the youngest and the stepdad comes in and very suspiciously uh, the mother dies and in her will she leaves everything to the daughters and the stepdad kills the youngest and then sends the oldest off to a mental asylum because by the way, this is also based in like early 19th century in and around like, okay. you know what I mean? So it's, it's, it's like 100 years ago. So if you didn't have any heirs that were able to take on the will, the next person in line would get everything. So in his case, it would be he would have everything on the will if no one was there. So, so where do the dragons and the samurais come into this? Oh, she gets sent to the mental asylum and the way that it perceives it is that the asylum is just there, but it also gives an open adaptation to the possibility that it has an underground illegal scam going on where each one of the asylum girls dances for people high in power for money. Okay. gives you that impression that that actually happens but the way that it also comes across is that it's a coping mechanism for all the girls that they have to dance i used air quotation marks there by the way but i don't it's just a very psychological one if you like you need to watch it and you need to like try and understand that it is in their head but it could also be happening in real life this definitely sounds like Zack snyder oh yeah yeah. it's it's a things go boom movie (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> but the main girl who is also Violet Baudelaire from Series of Unfortunate Events Emily Burning is this yeah. the, is that the Netflix one or the Jim Carrey the Jim Carrey one I, I much preferred that one for some reason just clicked with the I'm the exact same but um, she plays the main girl in it and she Maybe essentially dances to distract the people so that they're able to escape and it's during those dance sequences that you see the majority of what happens in the trailer which is like your dragons the robots the, the 
the samurais and stuff like that there it's right. all it's very much a psychedelic trip but it's all up to the audience's interpretation of whether or not you think that it's in their head or if you think that it's actually an underground scam. I get the sense 12, 13-year-old me probably would have loved this, but, and look, I'm the person who loves spectacle. I love, like, just occasionally just sitting down, turning my mind off and seeing some mad carnage on screen. Yeah. But also, I think the more you see of it, the more numbing it gets. Yeah. I think, For like, me, the, the majority of my time at the minute is currently spent playing Fortnite and The Last of Us, I feel like a little bit so of psychedelic... This is the same thing as you, is that what you just said? Yeah, just sometimes having <laughs> a... Say that again. <laughs> Fortnite and The Last of Us 2 is game I No, sometimes <laughs> having like a different like genre or mood setter, I think, can really help diversify things, especially like if you've come off something that's so specifically tailored towards one genre or something, you just kind of yeah. want to step away from it for a bit. But yeah, that's exactly why I watched Sucker Punch, because it was like the complete juxtaposition of both of the like genres that I had. So it was like sweaty, try hard Fortnite, and then it was tense, can't cope with these emotions right now, Last of Us 2. So then it was, I was like, you know what, let's just leave this for a moment and kind of hit like an Alice Madness Returns kind of level. In the middle. I'll keep an eye out for it. It's just... It's something that, like, I've seen, but I've never really, like, heard people go on about it outside of Zack Snyder discussions and stuff like that. I think we have maybe one more before we go into the big talking points. Michael, did you watch JoJo's Rabbit? Or, oh, sorry, I think... yeah, he means... <laughs> I did. I, I watched... I finally, finally watched JoJo Rabbit. Yeah. That uh, thumbnail for episode three, I'm so prepared. He's going to watch sense. JoJo Rabbit. We're going to make it. Haven't watched it. Well, it's too late now. I've already made it. How many is that? Three episodes since? Yeah, I never. I, I was. I was skint. I couldn't pay to watch it. But it was um very surprising. Yeah, that was one of the big things I had going in because I remembered the first 10, 15 minutes starting off, and we didn't get it till January. I think like it first came out in America in November. Yeah, I was not really sure about it at first like the whole idea of a comedic spoof about nazi youths and it's not like out of the question like taika watiti is the type of guy who can make any sort of situation like really comical or really silly but at first i don't really think it was clicking with me but the more it went along the more it actually did really work mm -hmm. it had it had it oh it had heart like i went into this thing and it's going to be like a hunt for the wilder people or what we do in the shadows but for nazis and to some some extent it was but you never very rarely i'm big into history but you very rarely see movies in the mainstream from the german perspective of world war ii and so it was refreshing to see that nazi germany had this in the children it was idealized and hitler was the messiah and you said if you said anything wrong about him you know, you were you were going against the status quo, and you're liable to get hung, as we say. You were kind of disconnected from it. That JoJo was like, ah, oh, he's you know he's the best, but it did happen. It was an unfortunate part of history, but children did think that way because that's the way they were brainwashed to think. Yeah, this whole idea of national patriotism that gets forced into like the youth and how they view the world, 
really starts to hit home because so much of that film starts out with him wanting to like fully embrace the culture like he wants to like be the best at what he does and suddenly when his own mother is hiding a jewish girl he does not understand this at all starting out because to him it's not right she's the enemy and the more time that he actually does spend with these positive influences in his life actively like do change things and there's one thing i've always liked about Watiti's work is that it's weird it's surreal and it's silly but there was always like this very small undercurrent that what was going on hurt like so many of his characters have this starting point like they think they're the best in this position but through hard events eventually end up at this like your kid from hunt for the wilder people he doesn't want to be with this foster family he just wants to escape and slowly through his adventures he really starts to care and open up with like his mentor four in ragnarok which is probably one of the best mcu movies has this similar thing where four's on top of the world and then at the 10 minute mark he gets his hammer destroyed and has to like go for this whole arc of learning to be more than just like the best of what he does with just the hammer that he needs to be himself and jojo's very much follows that same sort of through line and i say all this because this is arguably his most grown-up film to date yes it's still filled with a lot of this humor like some bits are genuinely really funny and this film's been out for a while but i'm just gonna say this red shoes oh man that bit fucking hit yeah. i knew yeah. he was setting something up with every shot of the shoes i was like wait what why are you introducing her in this way every single time and then he starts following the damn butterfly this was the point for me when oh he isn't just another one of those odd oh, this is just good fun time director this i think is a sign that Watiti, i think has something genuinely really special he's more really? than just funny i think he has like the most important ingredient that films needs and that is heart he a, does, love, yeah. a love for what he's doing a love for the like art form he's working in not just as an actor or director but like it's the type of thing where you feel like this is an important thing that needed to have been said yeah it, in I times agree. like this given all the current circumstances only through like compassion and working together with others can we really make solid progress in this world and really that's all the stuff that really matters in the end it's not the pride or just trying to be the best it's okay to show weakness it's okay to ask for help so often this gets drilled into our heads that these things are wrong and in 2020 regardless of like the stuff that was actually going to happen i think this is a message that people really needed to hear and i'm genuinely amazed that like this was from the director who like a few years ago was making me just laugh my head off and then in a theater had me genuinely crying like that never happens to me at a cinema yeah well, yeah it's, it's, so it's oh, jojo jojo's a movie yeah Jojo Jojo Rabbit. Movie, yeah. on what I, well, I had to I had to pay for it on Amazon Prime, but it, yeah. it's, it's like three forty to, to to rent. I think you should watch it. It's an important story to be told. It's relevant to these times. It, it is really entertaining. It's generally, I think, it is something I'd watch with my parents because it's something we can have a good laugh at, but also like we'll feel something afterwards. It will give you emotional whiplash. Like in one scene, I was like, oh, "This is fucking hilarious," and then 
just a snap of the finger, I was like, oh yeah. shit. That's what films sometimes need to be. Like, having the broadest range of tones and having them flow together, I think, leads to more memorable experiences. And a few years ago, I would have said, yeah, this I'm keeping an eye out for this guy. Now I'm like, yes, I am going to root whatever project comes out from this person now. I'm excited to see where he goes from here. I think it was when this was, when this was released, even before 2020 and everything went absolutely tits up. He said that nowadays you don't see stories like this. And if you're not telling these stories, you're in danger of forgetting the message or something yeah. to that extent. Yeah, like, to bring it into the idea of censorship, uh, there's been a lot of older films from previous decades that have recently been subject to re-edits or things to remove questionable material, which I understand in context, but I think it's also one of those things where you look at it and go like, yes, you're removing the issue, but this is also kind of pretending it didn't happen. Yeah, like, I, I don't agree with the whole... Like, a good approach to take with this is... I remember there was a lot of old Looney Tunes shows and Whoopi Goldberg, like she was a massive fan of it. She comes out, you know, before it starts and says something along the lines of this is material from this period of time and it will feature stuff like this that you might find a bit weird or not really suitable. But I think the fact that they're acknowledging it is a good thing. To give an example of how not to do it, Disney had this thing when they were starting the streaming service where for something like the original Dumbo, they were going to remove the crows. And to bring it back to the argument I was saying, yes, removing the issue, I think, is important. But we can't just forget that it happens. I think there should at least be an acknowledgement that it was originally there. Censoring something along these lines is the same as pretending it didn't happen. And we should not pretend it didn't happen. Everybody in this is probably not going to suffer the same prejudice that you know, African-Americans in America, actually to, to a pretty great extent these days. But I feel yeah. like the, the culture is being more accepted. I do understand this is a bit more serious in the past, but I think this is a subject everyone's worth talking about. And like, look, we're free white guys from Ireland. Our experience of racism is very different and not limited. to an extent. Like very the most limited. I get is mocking for my accent or tone or how I speak. Like that is a mountain of difference compared to the racial injustice that's been going on in the last, like, century or entire existence of humanity. But I feel like this is why stuff like Jojo Rabbit is important. It's a message about hopefulness and... Tolerance. That is the, a thing, thing that is, I feel like we need more of. Yeah, in regards to the, the whole racial thing, racial hasn't been here since the beginning of time. Racism has been invented around the same time yeah. as the Spanish Inquisition. I'm not religious, but there's a, a great quote, and I forget who said it, and I do apologize for not knowing who it was. God created mankind, mankind created racism. Yeah. It's a brilliant quote. I'm, we, I mean, I've, it's not, I mean, it's, it's racism to an extent. I feel like everybody has probably been subject to some form of sectarianism. I've been called a, a Fenian bastard a few times in my life. Never really, it's never affected me as much as what you see going on today in America and in England. Yeah. Yeah. And it is worth calling out because if we can do anything, it is 
broadcast this message of tolerance to other people to recommend stuff that will educate or say this will give you a good laugh to maybe distract from what's going on and stuff yeah yeah so magnify voices that don't have as much power um, Which why Hamilton is great. <laughs> yeah, Jojo Rabbit's good. Sucker Punch. That's a film that Peter likes. And yeah, of, sorry we got heavy on you, Peter. Yeah, stuff that we also like is video games. So introducing the other section, Checkpoint Quest. This is the video game section, and there was nothing that came out this week. Just no video games at all. Nothing that was controversial or part of the thumbnail or anything worth mentioning at all. Nope, there was totally not a game that came out this week that we have been waiting many years for and was expecting great things from. Well, I mean, technically the thing in question didn't actually come out this week. It's just the subject of this video to give some background information i'm holding up a big pre-order bag of the thing in question you know One just thing to... in question nothing came out this week mark because it didn't come out this week the thing well nothing question. came out last week either we've all been playing fortnite call of duty the world is round la 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 <laughs> guys we need to talk about the last of us part two well merry christmas to us all <laughs> so, michael, michael scrapped his guitar Peter's in the corner, and I am just going to slowly figure out how this is going to work. The way I'm going to approach this is that we are at different stages of it. Like, I have finished it. Uh, Peter, I know you're at maybe around the halfway point at this stage. Yes, I am on day three with Abby. Okay. I'm currently looking for Lev. Right, so we're just going to leave that as, like, a point to say... This is as far as we're going to talk about significant story spoilers. So if you yeah. do want to go into this game unspoiled, we are going to mention the point when you should probably skip forward. Because I've said in the past about how I don't believe this ruins stories, and I will get into this. But it should also be a person's own decision if they want to go into something without knowing the background information and stuff like that about narrative. We will have something in the time description just to say if you want to avoid the spoilers just click that and go ahead from there okay okay i'm gonna talk a little bit first about like individual parts and then we'll jump to michael and peter we'll sort of bounce off each other as it goes along 100%. but you know just as a test to see how it goes before, before we do go on i would just like to say that i had been making notes while playing the game just in preparation for this sure absolutely and the point where i give up writing notes is the point that Peter is at. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? <laughs> so, All right. Serendipitous. <laughs> All right. This is just an inherently difficult game to discuss, not just in the wake of the leaks that came out before its release, you know, with the stuff about crunch, mistreatment of staff and stuff like that. It's also just the reaction around it. So going into this with a sort of clean perspective or trying to keep a balanced head is inherently kind of difficult. Because even though we are like a very small kind of show, people will latch on to anything and try to rip it apart. In regards same- to in regards to anything that I usually will ever say, it's I will not care about you as a person. 
rather than the art that you're putting out. If you're not putting out something that I'm going to judge you on that rather than you as a person. Yeah. Does that make sense? Even though I I, I don't like uh, you as a person, that doesn't mean to say I don't appreciate that you're doing that. You know what I mean? I get you now. Okay. I'm going to just talk about it a bit first and then we'll jump to Michael and then Peter and we'll sort of just bounce off each other at points we agree or disagree. Okay. Okay. The first big thing that jumps out about this game is that in many respects, it looks stunning. This thing is pushing the PlayStation 4 to its absolute limit. Like I'm playing this on the Pro, that thing turns into a portable fan. It is that loud and it comes on two discs. Like you have to install it and then play it. Like, I think the last one I had to do that for was like GTA 5 back on like 360 or something. Red Dead 2 also had to do that. Oh, actually, yes. Sorry, I forgot about that. I thought it 7 Remake as well. Really? Oh. I was with the split disc thing. I think that must be a thing near the end of each generation because they have to get considerably bigger for storage and stuff. And that visual fidelity is felt everywhere from the character models to the environments to the intricate details on everything like i am a sucker for photo mode every few seconds i was always on it and i think the first thing to note about it is that in many ways it's a great example of what they want to show you like they want to show you these really cool looking environments that are worn down in winter or in the forest or stuff like that but and this is something i've had with naughty dog games for the longest time is that you can only interact or do specifically what they want you to. And I think the camera mode is a good place to start with because you have the option to either when you start it up, you can hit just normal, you know, where it's just where you've taken off from the pause menu or you can hit free and you can sort of take the camera, move it around and like compose the shots whatever way you'd like. But wherever Ellie is positioned, the camera is sort of on a track. So like, If you've put her, let's say, beside a car and you're in a shootout, if you want to, like, take it over, it locks. Because you can't take it further than what they want you to do. I think that there is also part of the experience, though, if you you can't cheat that way, then. I think that is something worth mentioning. And I say this because Naughty Dog are the type of people who, they're good at making a really fun roller coaster right where as long as you do exactly the things they want you to it's fun it's really enjoyable it's flashy but the moment you unintentionally like don't follow their script instantly out of the experience like i use the photo mode as a starting point because you can feel it that the design is still trapped in 2013 this comes up in a lot of things like the traveling through areas on the horse and the boats feels weirdly artificial it still feels trapped in that old era of still trying to figure out the sensitivity of the like generation 8 controls and this traversal is also felt in how you like get to places there's a bit when you have to get to a tv station this is in the day one of seattle with ellie yeah and when you first get there you have some steps and there's trip wires at this point you've been told I can throw an object, a brick, a bottle, whatever. This will go off so I can safely pass through. And, you know, with the the retinal, uh, the aiming thing, you throw it and you can't do it unless you go to the specific platform. Like, despite the fact it very much says you can do this thing, you need to do it exactly the way they want you to. 
I had this same thing with uh, a lot of the Uncharted games as well, in particular Uncharted 2, because there's so many points when you like look at points here and say, I can jump that. Uh, can I? No, you're dead. Can I go to this step? No, you're dead. Just because they're just like, y you can't. You have to do this exactly the way, otherwise the whole set falls apart. I, I didn't experience that with The Last of Us 2. Maybe it was just my playstyle and that I was absolutely brutal to anything I came across. But with that point with the tripwires and if you could only throw it from a certain point, I was able to do it from any point in the map. Like There was a point where it was between a truck and a car and there was another truck behind it. I climbed on top of that truck. By all accounts, I should not have hit it. I was able to throw the brick, trip it, walk on through like nothing happened. I'm very good at what you're talking about, though, is the part that I, I know exactly what you're saying because you, you can throw them at any point, but there's a part whenever you jump over a wall and you land in between two. Yes, that's what we're talking about. You have to jump back back over the wall, climb up round and throw two balls in to try and get rid of it because yeah. you can't do yeah. it any other way. I don't think so I remember that part. It's just a point where you feel like you have to do this the way they want you to. And that sucks for traversal because when it actually comes to the combat and gameplay, it actually really works. Like some of the best encounters are the ones where they lock you into a situation and you need to improvise on the spot like oh shit my, my shotgun's out i need to switch my pistol quickly and the person's already around the corner and you have to consider all these things like my melee weapon could probably like hurt this person and like when this game gets intense it is heart-poundingly it really puts like, you there yeah it, it's like so every chase every fight all of it feels rough and visceral and it's always Intense, yeah. even in stealth, landing like critical shots when an arrow like feels like a genuine victory. I was horrible with the bow. <sighs> yeah, I no. think pl playing the Tomb Raider reboots, I think arrows have become my signature weapon for video games right now. I say this because the combat is one of those things where you're just like, okay, it gives me these options on the fly to figure these things out. And there are these like much bigger environments that you can feel that are less video gamey. Like there aren't as many like obvious cover points put there because it's a tutorial section or something like that. Or yeah. at least, you know, after the initial introduction and stuff like that. If there's credit I can give to anything is that the moment to moment experience of playing The Last of Us when it's not traversal, it's fun. When you get into the fights, everything feels like tight it's all like really well put together a lot of the best encounters for me are the ones when they actively throw you into situations and you have to improvise like not going in depth beyond a certain narrative point but there's several great moments when you actually have yourself fighting like other humans factions and then there's also the infected and there's points where you're just like, I love the bits when all three of them like unintentionally class in clash into each other and fight. Like the rare moments that happens is generally like really great, and I'm just sad there isn't more of that. Mm. I had a twice maybe where I've I stumbled not stumbled in the game led me there into <laughs> the uh, wolves I think it was, and there was a load of clickers, and yes. the wolves like, okay, yo, you be quiet because there's clickers here. And I was at like the entrance to the room and went, oh, be quiet, is that right? And I just lobbed a ball at one of them and the clickers just surrounded them all. And I was like, brilliant, I'm out of here, thank you very much. Yeah, and yeah. I love that when combat systems give you the ability to think of multiple solutions to a situation and just experiment. That's what I like about those kinds of systems. Yeah. However, I think there, there is an issue there where 
it feels very much the same but improved compared to the first one yeah. so much so that i went straight into the same way that i would have done the first one because the yeah. first game yeah. it was like defeat all the enemies in the area and then you can take that time to look for a way out rather than there's always a way out because this time round, I find myself personally going round and making sure all the enemies are gone before yeah. I even try and find a way out. But I should be getting out of that headset. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. You definitely have those points when you notice, like, okay, I can sprint, there's enemies here, oh, I can only jog, it's fine, I can explore and stuff. Yeah. I think one thing to note about the enemies as well is that I am disappointed by the lack of new variety of them, but at the same time, the ones they do add, I'm generally quite fascinated by. Like, the inclusion of dogs was, like, a really tough one to deal with, you oh. know, because they uh, are yes. trackers and they are hard to deal with. In particular, I can't remember the name of them, but they're the ones who whistle. Um, the, the scars? Seraphites. Scars. Yeah. Seraphites, yes. Sorry. Because... It's just they come out of nowhere and so often you usually rely on some kind of audio or like visual cue to tell you how one enemy is reacting so you know when to strike. And the thing I found so scary about them is that I didn't know how to read them. I just had to just figure yes. something out. And it's actually pretty funny when you play it in subtitles, it says aggressively whispering. Yeah. What yeah. the fuck does that mean? <laughs> aggressive whistle, alert whistle, call whistle, react whistle, dead whistle. <laughs> Just like, uh... Response whistle. <laughs> yes. I remember my first experience with them is I was playing through it, talking to you two in the group chat. Oh, Mark was like, oh, my first experience with the whistler is like, I don't know what you're talking about. Five minutes later. Uh -huh. Oh. <laughs> Uh, Do you know what's yeah. funny? The first time you ever re re like run into them, I initially thought it was Tommy trying to get your like trying to get you, and I was like, "Oh my god, Tommy's right here!" So I started like looking frantically all over the show, and then Arrow, and I was like, "You what? Sorry." Arrow into your like The infected themselves. I have to be honest; they were one of the bits I wasn't like particularly into in the first game as well because like. They were very much what you'd expect. You had your runner, and then you had your silent ones, and then, like, you had your bigger ones. In this one, there is one included enemy type, you know, for that faction, and it's... who's essentially like a bloater, but instead he, like, lets off toxic gas. The Shambler. Yes, Shambler. And the thing is, like, I, I did like that, you know, in theory, but then I, at a certain point I realized, oh, wait, that's, like maybe the only new design like there is the crawlers as well but i very much get the sense yeah these are pretty much just you know the like standard enemies but a different coat of paint sort of thing i feel like with me i don't know what they're called but the, the, the crawler things it could it probably is just me and maybe a few other people but before i met those things i was walking through using listening mode constantly and i was like wouldn't it be cool if there was an enemy that listening mode didn't work on. And then the second I got into that building and tried to use listen mode for the little bastards and it didn't work. And I was like, oh, did, he fucking heard me. Neil Druckmann heard me. <laughs> and now I'm paying for it. So, yeah, there is things to really appreciate about this, you know, from a visual standpoint, from how it plays. It's clear that a lot of time and effort went into this and there are rough edges. My playthrough did crash at a certain point, but the checkpoints were very forgiving, so it started, like, right up from whatever escape sequence I was doing at that point. Yeah. I say all this because there are things worth praising about this game, and 
I say this in the wake of knowing that there was a lot of trouble behind the scenes, that people were mistreated, and if I'm going to be bluntly honest, I think the director's behavior on Twitter has been really immature. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Captain Crunch strikes again at Naughty Dog. To give that example, like, you know how he does the things where he makes, like, a gif or something of Joel doing, like, meme stuff, like the salt or the 4th of July thing, and he's like, we don't have fun in our games, and you're using these memes that you probably overworked someone to make, Mm -hmm. it feels really counterproductive. And Mm -hmm. look, running a production is hard. And generally my heart goes out to all the people who were really overworked for this, but I think the way this can get handled could be in a more professional manner. And this isn't aimed at the whole of Naughty Dog. I bet there are some really talented, hardworking people there, but it's the handful that are actually out there representing company and i'm saying this specifically commenting on Druckmann's behavior where he's so excited at the moment anyone says anything nice about it and the moment someone criticizes it he goes absolutely mental about it and look handling criticism i think is one of the hardest things one has to deal with when you're trying to do any sort of content that's sold to the mainstream i say all this because there are things to love about the last of us too anything that gets high amounts of evangelical praise and also massive amounts of backlash from people who are probably just review bombing it. I think there needs to be a clear idea that you're going in for something that is enjoyable. Oh yeah, there's a complete disconnect. Now, we've gone this long and we are probably going to have to talk about the story. (laughs) All right, here it comes. I like what it's trying to do in concept. I think... At points, the story is genuinely really well done, but there has not been a piece of media I've consumed in the last few years that's left me this divisive on it because it ping-pongs so frequently between being amazing and then genuinely baffling. From this point on, there will be narrative spoilers to the midway points of the game, so you have been warned. Uh, We will put a thing in the description to just go from here. So... Starting off with the big controversial dead horse in the room. I dare you. Shimmer was a hero. Shimmer was alright. He was good. The idea that the Fireflies were the ones to come after Joel isn't out of the question. I think, alright, you know what? The way this is being built up, I think there is a legitimate reason for these ones to come after him. But the manner in which this gets handled, our main villain, Abby, is suddenly out on her own being chased and then conveniently finds the exact person that she's been looking for and is able to coincidentally get him into just this place with her entire crew. And then he lets down his guard. And I'm not one for like talking about character writing and consistency, but Joel doesn't strike me as the person who'd be... The revealing of his to... name. Yeah. It, his it, name at the first drop of a hat. And Tommy kind of sold him down the river on that one. Too. Here's with that thing at the start of the game. I have no, I, I do have an issue with the character being killed because he is one of my all time favorite characters in any game I've ever played. But I can see why he had to be killed for the story to progress because Joel's story was going nowhere else. Yeah. yeah, now that he's he's found himself a nice home with his virtual daughter. If they had have moved this point to maybe the end of the second act or 
maybe like halfway through the third act, I could see maybe his character has evolved to a point where he's willing to let down his guard because there is. Yeah, uh, Peter, there's fl- you. You do know that there's, that there's flashbacks, right? That there's what? There's flashbacks, flashbacks for Joel and Ellie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, in those flashbacks, I you can see maybe hints of a character who's become softer over the years of living in Jackson. Yeah, because yeah. I went, I went through and played the first game just to be doubly sure. Of course, she does. Even when they're getting to a point where they're bonding, Joel is still kind of standoffish with Ellie. Because he still has that barrier around him that he's not wanting to let anybody else in. Mm-hmm. But in the flashbacks, he's more fatherly and he's so, he's, he speaks softer to her. He's you know he's willing to you know show I always, a I always side to him. found that bit just unsettling because I knew why he was being softer because he's comfortable with this new idea of Ellie being his yeah, daughter, and it's one of those things I found like generally a bit like really weird about it. I did not sympathize with Joel's decision at the end because I very much felt like, you know, that's something he would have made, but not me as a player. But the idea of him being killed for a revenge narrative isn't the worst decision. I think the problem I have with the narrative isn't the decisions made by the characters in most cases. I think it's more just the structure of how it's put together is yeah. something that doesn't sell it. Now, oh, it was conveyed. this game has a very, and I'm going to give them credit for this, a very unconventional and ambitious structure for a story because the way it works is you do have your prologue with Ellie and then our other character, Abby, who is the antagonist of this. And it starts out how you'd expect with Last of Us. It had a very episodic structure to its storytelling. Like every season acted as an episode and there was always like a character we encountered along the way that very much reflected what Joel's relationship was with Ellie. You had the survivor guy in the first chapter where he was just completely by himself and how that might have turned out for Joel in a particular light or in, you know, your one with the man and his younger brother, Henry. Um, Henry and Sam. Yeah. And so like that point I'd want to bring up actually continue. So, like, that could be another scene of just saying, this is essential, you know, just for saying where this could potentially go in the end, or take my favorite section from the game. And this is coming from someone who really didn't have much affection for the original Last of Us. I think it tried so hard to be a film that it just sort of ended up being a game in disguise unintentionally. The best section of that game for me was the winter bit, when you played as Ellie alone, thinking Joel had died, and you encountered David's. To this day, I'm still amazed at Nolan North's range in that performance because he's so accustomed to playing Nathan Drake and roles of that kind. And so when I hear him putting on that voice, it's such a whiplash. He fucking killed it. I remember going through it all, not knowing who played David, and then reading the credits, like, "Uh uh-huh, yeah, Troy Baker, yeah, Ashley Johnson, yep. Fucking hey! (laughs) Yeah, and that arguably sets an example of Joel on the worst path he could go, which does foreshadow what happens in the end. And I use the first game as an example because I think it has a very good grasp on pacing and how it separated everything out with encounters and the different seasons. This one tends to go more ambitious because while the first game had a linear structure, you know, your beginning, middle, end, this one has that, but also it splits it 
instead of over a longer period of time, it does Ellie in Seattle day one and then day two and then day three. And all of these progress in the sort of way where like you're going to this major building to deal with this important thing or deal with this character and stuff. And at first, the game does not set a good impression because it can be very slow. There's a lot of times where you're going through these very big environments, just sort of going through shops and looking at things. And I like Ellie and Dina. I, I do like their funny relationship with each other. I do like their chemistry. But it's also the point where you realize so many of these things are being crafted in isolation. I spent maybe a solid two or three hours just exploring the section in Seattle before I got through the first gates. And felt like I was just wasting time, that I wasn't really doing anything. And like the rare bits of conversation, those are the bits I like about Last of Us. And when they are there, it's good. But when the game gets slow, it can get insultingly slow. And because of that, it just at points does not find its groove. When it does, it is phenomenal. Whenever it gets to the point of Ellie hunting down the individuals involved in the situation with Joel, those are the bits when it's amazing, when the heart is pumping and the action is great. And then the game pulls what I'm going to call a very difficult hard choice. Exactly at the halfway point, it feels like it's reaching the climax. You get to the cinema and Abby is there. The tension is at its absolute highest. You've played for about 10 hours. You've been going on a manhunt to find the one who killed Joel. It's done everything in its power to get you to hate this character. And then it hard cuts. And then we play the next 10 hours from Abby's perspective. Mm -hmm. okay. This was something I was not expecting. It doesn't always work. In fact, when it first happened, I hated the idea that, oh God, this thing is trying to double its length. How pretentious can this thing get? But despite all this, at moments, it still kind of works. The parallels between the two do kind of work. But this also leads into my biggest problem with the game is that it thinks at points it's better than it actually is. It wants to be this discussion on how violence affects people. But at the same time, it's like, hey, kids, here's your exploding yeah, arrow attachment. <clears throat> Yeah, I, 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 the, the Abby portions, I think, were a missed opportunity. And that if they're trying to show how violence and revenge is horrible and only you're going to make matters worse for everybody involved, including yourself, they should have had it flipped. And then maybe Abby is out on patrol, Ellie goes on her rampage, Abby comes back and sees the result of yeah. Ellie's rampage. Yeah. Like, oh, and then by the, the point yeah, that's, that's seen what this, I initially thought whenever yeah. it showed you Abby going into the morgue section of the camp mm -hmm. and then Danny was there I was like oh this is going to show you that all these people are result from LA going on a rampage yeah. but it yeah. never cleared it up never did anything and I'm just like right I, I definitely that. think that Abby is the type of person that no offence to games but they always need to have a masculine character I don't think that's necessarily... I, are you saying that you feel like they portray themselves as needing a masculine character, or do you feel like they need a masculine character, Peter? No, I'm saying games in general usually have a masculine character. Yeah, okay. And I'm saying that only because 
the thing that attracted me most to The Last of Us 2 is because we played the first game as Joel, which was great, but we also had Ellie there, so we had already established that connection. By number two, I was expecting, okay, we're going to be playing as Ellie. It's going to be a different experience, but two of them have learned from one another, so the, the mechanics are going to be similar, everything's going to be similar, but it's still going to be different, if that makes sense. Yeah. But yeah. then they throw in Abby, and she needs to be the one that's basically like a female version of Joel and also like Ellie, where it's a, a placement of them both. And that is a good comparison because I know you still have a way to go with Abby's journey, but I think it's yeah. interesting that it tries so long to get you to hate this character. And yeah. then during the switchover, it puts her on a very similar arc to Joel, yeah. just in the way of traveling with people who he, or, you know, in this case, she didn't care for, and then slowly starts to open up more about. And I'm going to mention this because this comes up in a lot of discourse about Abby herself, you know, that she is this buff character. Like, if your big problem is just that, you really need to grow up, okay? Like, if you have a problem with, like, women who are, like, super built... Yeah, no. Don't, like, um, they're cool. Like, have you seen the ripped bunny from My Hero Academia? She looks awesome. Have you seen <laughs> Gina Carano? Like, she could turn me in two. Well, all right, keep the sexual tension. No, no, I'm not. Like, come on. <laughs> come on, yeah. we had to do that once. <laughs> I'm going to say this. Her being this built, or, you know, physically, is part of her character because... She yeah. did lose a certain key role model in her life, and she dedicated so much of her time to, like, vengeance. And I think this is an interesting contrast, or I, there's a term binary opposition, to how over the course of the narrative, Abby gets, like, stronger. She is well-built, and as it goes along, Ellie actually gets, like, more shrill and weaker as it goes along. I think there's an intentional contrast between the two. Fair, so, but I also wish that it showed you that in the other way. Because it's showing you Ellie is strong in Jackson, and then she progressively gets more frail and weak as time goes on because she's really trying to push and get that revenge that she's not getting. But yeah. if anything, it should be the other way for Abby instead of it being that, like, from her father dying, it should have almost been like, she lost weight because she was depressed about her dad losing. It should have been that whole character development of I was weak and then you you meet up with Lev and she's petrified of heights and it's just like you have that strength, you have that strength. You should be at that level where you're like, oh, you can kind of still see yourself as frail, but oh, you're still kind of... The fact they actually gave Abby vertigo and you can actually try looking down yeah. over like a height and you actually like see the effect and you can feel her raving. Yeah. It's like, it gets you in her shoes. But there is one other thing I would like to mention before I wrap this up, because we'll do another full narrative breakdown when we've all finished it. This game is very unpleasantly violent. This was played up for promotions. There was like one scene in particular that was a trailer back in like 2017. It's the bit when Abby is captured and I, there's a noose involved coming from someone who is fairly desensitized to a lot of action and horror films you know in his time this thing is like very grisly nasty unpleasant kind of violence it's fun to play but you know in the sense of 
the controls are tight and then you actually do like the stealth kills or something and you hear like the really ear piercingly tight sound design and stuff where you just end up feeling like i'm not really comfortable with having done stuff like this in fact there's a lot of points in the story where they start asking about is joel's getting revenge for this character is it even worth it like it gets okay. pointed out joel did some terrible things in many respects deserve what he got to him and like I'm also going to mention this is another one. This is a big reveal that happens. It's like one of the things about the original game's ending was how he didn't tell the truth. He just wanted Ellie to believe this idea that the cure couldn't be made. And it was that decision just, okay, maybe she believes him. And then it gets revealed on the flashback. She knows yeah. that he lied. Yeah. Like it's a devastatingly honest scene because she just realized the big purpose she had got taken away by this man who wants to preserve this idea of what it means just to have family and the idea of her being special I mean, is just gone in, in the long run though if you're if but in regards to the brutal honesty of what way joe would react if you were left alone in a world where there was no one left a familiar face that you had bonded with and then all of a sudden they were going to be stripped away from you for you to then be put straight back in the same shoes i wouldn't want that so in yeah. a way joel's decision yeah and like ellie gets considerably more violent as the story gets long and i feel like that's the intentional like it's t that's traits taken from joel and it's getting more into her so i feel like i'm just going to end the discussion here for now because you know if you're going to play this game I do recommend it. It is a long playthrough. You will get your money's worth. There is variety in the gameplay. There is moments of greatness in the story. And like I said, like, I'm very mixed on this game. But at the same time, I can't say I've regretted the 20 or so hours I put into this. I am definitely going into New Game Plus with the upgraded weapons to see oh how I feel about the story. <laughs> like, I say this as someone who wasn't a fan of the first game i feel like seven or so years later the zombie craze has long since died down and when you see art being reinterpreted in real life as well with the constant backlash and in particular something that really annoyed me is when i saw the petition going up to get this remade that made me so angry because i hate the idea that they believe this little shit post instantly yeah, ruined the art that got made Look, we've talked crap, and like, not to mention to the name, but we talked <sighs> crap about Game of Thrones Season 8 in the past. We talked, like, a little crap about Last Jedi in the past. Like, we all have very mixed feelings on these things. But, like, I think we can speak all for ourselves. We are all, like, film students. We all did our best to make projects. You know, we put our heart and souls into them, even though, like, they may have ended up crap in the end. But, like, hey, we made them. Do I think those petitions are the biggest insults you can give to a production team or the people who made it so like i've voiced many criticisms of all these things but never ever consider like signing those things you are adding to like this horrible circle of negativity i think this is just a tough subject to talk about because it's hard to find ground level to go in politely with this Maybe when we come back to it next time, we'll have a better concept of what to do because it is tough in this world. But also, like, there's things worth getting angry about besides this. Like, yeah. as much as we love what we do, you know, films, video games and all, it is like one piece of fiction. There are 
hundreds of different things in the world to get upset about, put your energy towards something more positive than actively criticizing, like, or, like, absolutely going to town on, like, certain creators or something. And, like, I know I've spoken negatively about Neil Druckmann, and some people will bring that up, but I'm never going to send him a death threat for even something I've disagreed with. And also, like, specifically to Laura Bailey, who's done Abby. just about to say that, yeah. I'm just going to say, like, I'm sorry. Like, you are putting up with so much stuff. You have voiced some of my favorite characters in so many video games and anime and stuff like that. And I'm genuinely really sorry you're putting up with so much of this negativity. As much as I hated the character of Abby, Laura Bailey played it perfectly. She is an A-class actress that does not deserve any death threats or anything. But not even death threats to Laura Bailey. They're sending death threats to Ronan, her little kid. Yeah, it's so one of those things where it's like, baby. it can be scary as well. And like, we are like such a tiny little show and she's got like millions of followers or something on Twitter or something. And like, that could be scary. Like, imagine what happened if like that got aimed at us. Like, if suddenly our home addresses got out and people started hassling us and our families. I, I couldn't imagine like the scaredness that could happen to someone. And I'm sorry if, like, a lot of this episode has gotten, like, really... Fucking heavy, man. (laughs) Yeah, heavy, dude. But I do think this is important. We should be passionate about things. We should talk about, like, uncomfortable subject matters. That's what makes media and art special. Yeah. But labeling it towards, like, people who've made the product, unless they've expressed some, like, really hateful, awful stuff consistently and regularly, like, I wouldn't even think twice about some of these creators when I've like enjoyed a product or something. I'm just like, yeah, I enjoyed it. Like, you know, I, I might follow you on Twitter or something. I think fan culture today, everybody who enjoys something feels some sense of ownership over it. And they, to some extent, I think that they should feel a connection and somewhat of an ownership over it. But at the end of the day, Game of Thrones, Star Wars, The Last of Us 2, none of these things were our stories to tell. And we shouldn't attack the people who have decided to, to tell Period. it. It should be a level that everybody can find your sense of community. Yeah. But every single person has their own individual story to tell. It shouldn't be a situation where you want to try and take ownership of somebody else's story and tell it to other people because it's not your it's not your place. Yeah. It, it should always be a situation. Exactly. It should be if, a situation where you take the time. Yeah. appreciate and respect someone's story and listen to it but even if you don't it. like it exactly yeah appreciate the time and effort put into it and if you think you can do better then by make, all means try it go and yeah. make your own go stuff be something. inspired by the things that you love and you hate and you will go on to make your own stuff and yeah. you know what if there's anything we can do it's just give our thoughts on things and just have fun doing it um, you can just talk crap about it. yeah so, <laughs> Last of Us 2, great game. Like, nothing wrong with it at all. Quick, 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 quick. No, just, just before we completely finalise, violence in that game. Oh, I yes, do I get that, that there's scene that you... Yeah, I do get that in that scene that you said about um, Abby being hung up about the weather. Um, no, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's just too dark and stormy out there. I can't do exactly. But her... Um, I don't take that topic lightly by the way it was just to not make it as so 
heavy hearted as we have had a heavy hearted episode. That is the reason why. But anyway, that part I was okay with dealing with, but also because I had played games like Assassin's Creed where bone crunching and hitting people hard and having a lot of gore and hanging people was almost the norm. I become desensitized to it. However, whenever it came to Ellie being shot by the Seraphites with arrows and her having to pull them out or else she'll die from bleeding, that's where I'm like, oh, this is too close to real life. Uh, it's it's a little bit scary, but it also the problem there normalizes the idea that if you were to get shot, you pull out the arrow, you're fine. Do you know what I mean? Bleed to death. Yeah. yeah, exactly. But it's also like I know this is really stupid, but like in Fortnite at the minute, the into- I know, I know, I know. Just let it happen for a second. Uh, the map is essentially underwater, but there's whirlpools everywhere, and in that game, you can jump in it and it shoots you up. But realize that there's five-year-olds there, and if they see a whirlpool, a whirlpool in real life, will they think they're going to be shot up? Will they jump into a river because they see a whirlpool? I, I would. You know what I mean? When I was five, I believed I was an airplane. <laughs> I I know that, but I think it's it's still just a situation where yeah, um, the way the something gets of it shouldn't be so. Everybody can become desensitized to it, and things can become normalized like amongst issues amongst violence amongst everything but it should still have that level of unrealistic expectations therefore we're not expecting it to be real if that makes sense and this will vary from different product to product i think it's just the way in which we all interpret it as different speaking of different here's docuseries Cinemas are due to reopen later in July. Uh, This is specifically up here in the north because the Republic has technically already reopened earlier last week. Mostly it's mainly just re-releases of some older stuff to get people in. Honestly, I'm I'm surprised I haven't missed the cinema as much as I was expecting. Because I think it's just given me time to work through the backlog of stuff I have around the house. Yeah. I have no concerns with the cinema opening at the end of the month. However... As someone that works in a cinema, it's going to be an interesting turnover in regards to who's going to be invited in. It's the same thing with towards the end of the month. The cinema is one of the last places that's going to be open. So people will be in town shopping. People will be doing whatever they want to do because lockdown will have gradually been lifted, which means that numbers might be high because people will be bored. Yeah, just something to get people out. Um, Exactly. But the problem with that is that if we're going to be opening the cinemas, there's going to have to be to sit further away from one another. It's going to have to be probably masks. It's going to have to be all of these different personal protective things put in place in order for us not to get infected, but then also for people to be safe so that we don't have a spike again and have to go into another lockdown. Oh, yeah, I'm yeah. glad we sit further away from the rest of the audience. You do that, to be fair, but like, say if... What's, what was a big film that was due out? Uh, Fast and Furious 9 or something. Oh, I think that was right, due. yep. So imagine that comes out <laughs> in the biggest screen and everybody's obsessed with the idea and they all go to see it. Now, 300 people can fit in our largest screen. 
So 150 but, people are going to have to fight. 150 people at the minimum, at the yeah. maximum, sorry, will have to be put in there. But that's only with a one seat in between each person. That's only three fit. And like yeah. that's if people respect the thing. Actually, yeah. can I can I tell you is like a really like weirdly embarrassing cinema story? 110% you can. Oh, please, yes. Okay, usually I do a lot of my visits to cinema by myself because most of the time, like, I people around me are just usually busy and stuff. But the absolute weirdest thing is when you're at the cinema by yourself and it's a film that really isn't, like, geared for you. This is so embarrassing. I don't know why, but I went to see Cars Free in the cinema by myself. Okay, right. In a, in a big IMAX theater on a nice summer day, I was the only person there. And you know how they have to have, like, someone come in with, like, a little laser pointer just to, you know, make sure no one's, like, doing anything wrong or, like, recording stuff? Mm-hmm. I think the guy just looked at me, I looked at him, and I just waved. Just oh, like, no, Mark. I just, oh, my God. I would have felt sorry and sat down with you, to be fair. Yeah, if you're like, hi, buddy, you okay? <laughs> Look, I just had to see if it was better than Cars 2, the greatest cinematic achievement of the 21st century. It's, it's alright. <gasps> oh my god, what the fuck did I do? That is why I never go to the cinema by myself. Alright, do you remember the one, um, we had to go see Venom for part of, um, I can't remember what course it was. Do it for contextual studies with a teacher who we shall not name. And oh, yeah. it was me, Michael, and another person from our class, and we looked like Michael's children compared to him at this stage. Oh! It was the most... The ginger like, gene was strong. Venom itself, you know, fun movie for us just to laugh our heads off, but, like, I also oh. remembered the bit in the forest, and Michael turned to me, and he described my emotional reaction to the Venom appearing in that bit, and my face was in my hey. hands. His head was buried in his hands, and his hands were down by his knees, just uh, not willing crying. to look up. Yeah, Rocking back so, forward. so no more embarrassing cinema stories. I can embarrass myself with other people. Wow, I love that. Yeah. Amazon announces new Fallout series. Bum, bum, bum. I don't care. <laughs> yeah, I mean... Was it like a TV show Fallout series? Yeah, this like yeah. Series? from Amazon Prime. Uh, in fairness, Fallout could use anything right now to boost its public image, because let's not mention 76. Like, oh, Fallout 70 shits, yes. Yes, it goes from, oh, this is a buggy MMO, to, well, we're actually going to charge it now with a yearly subscription to get into the like still buggy 99 a year. Look, here's the thing. I'm I'm all for like adaptations of videos more as TV shows because I think they're a much better format for telling the long form stories. Mm-hmm. But the Fallout aesthetic, I think, would be interesting to see. The launch trailer for Fallout Four, you know, it's done to the song "Wanderer." Well, I'm a tough guy. I think that could be like a really interesting spin visually for a show. But there's no real cast announcements. It's mainly just the idea that it is happening and. Look, if it goes well, I'll be curious to see it. But right now, Fallout as a brand just is not in a good place right now. Oh, yeah. Personal opinion, I know these two are very, very... These may or may not be... Well, one of them, Michael, I feel like you might like, but you also might not like. Uh, Final Fantasy, the one that I played with Prompto and Gladys. Oh, 15? I love 15. 15's so good. But 
you know whenever Florence and the Machine sung that song at the start where they were pushing Not the car? Me. That was phenomenal. One of my favorite things that have ever happened in a game because I literally personally stopped the car and was like, I'm going to let her play. I'm, I'm going to let, let her finish. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to let her finish before this finishes the cup thing. Um, yeah. no, I think it was second unpopular opinion. Fallout is not as good as The Elder Scrolls and I don't care what anybody says. Oh, I will always stand by it. We're just not wading through the shit takes. That's the title for this episode. The all shit right? takes. <laughs> yeah. But realistically, I'm still waiting for an Elder Scrolls that's similar to Skyrim, but more. I basically want to live my own fantasy life in an Elder Scrolls game. Right. Do you... Oh, man. Do you have a no. PlayStation? Yes. How about playing The Last of Us? Oh, that's a very yeah. good point. Get yourself a VR headset and play Elder Scrolls in VR. Tell Do you think I'm just going to pay for the VR? <laughs> I'm running about. I'm playing it at the minute. Just on the... I was like, you know what? I feel like playing uh, Skyrim right now. But I have it for VR. I'll get that. And I'm like... The TV, like the HDMI that displays on the TV from the VR doesn't work for me. So if somebody walks into my room... I'm just like slinging arrows, looking like a moron with two massive blue. <laughs> Not gonna finish that sentence. Coming just from someone slinging who... arrows, swinging a sword about, but it is so much fun. Like I've looked weird in situations. Like the last convention I went to was in Dublin, and I cosplayed Ichigo Kurosaki from Bleach. Now, honestly, real fun time. But let me tell you, walking through O'Connell Street with a big bonkai sword, you tend to look a bit out there. So don't you worry. Uh, well, I think you actually had Ichigo Shikai, I think you'll find. Oh, shit. I'm His Bankai is Tensuzangetsu. Moving swiftly along. Uh, Guys, <laughs> you need to brace yourself because there's an update coming for the greatest thing that's ever happened in Four the shit show that is 2020. Brace yourself. You can now swim in the new Animal Crossing New Horizons update. There is hope. I, I, I was going to jump from a window whenever you said that, but you know what? It's fine, because everyone's alive their own way thing. And I can respect that everybody loves Animal Crossing. I can respect that. It's I just a well of positivity. Why don't you get into, like, the nice corner with the nice villagers where there's absolutely nothing wrong and how the raccoon is definitely not ripping you off? Wow. the longest episode yet. Come on, Nick, you creepy bastard. Um... <laughs> <laughs> Oh, <laughs> Last one to wrap it up. This is one I actually heard from uh, Michael previously. Spider, they were the makers of Greedfall. You mentioned them a while ago. And Mars uh, Chronicles, I think it's called. Yes, they are teasing a new title. It's apparently going to have a reveal later this week, I believe. Um, yeah. <laughs> there's been a tease for it on Twitter. I'm not really sure what to think of it, but I'm curious because you had mentioned these guys previously and their body of work is... I think there's the potential here for them to really take off. I have no idea what that teaser image is. Like, am I supposed to discern anything from that? <laughs> I think there's always just sort of a thing with, like, marketing and how it, people interpret it and stuff. Like, here's the thing. Sometimes, like, a really shit or bad reveal of something can lead to improvement. Like, do you remember the original Sonic movie design? Yeah. Like... There's some alternate timeline out there where we got Chad Sonic flossing. <laughs> I don't like that. <laughs> I, I don't like that image in my head. But that was one of those interesting things where it's like, 
it never really happened before that like a massive amount of backlash actually caused Changed. the studio to go back and change things. And yeah. the Sonic movie itself, I thought, was just all right. But I was really just curious to see it because of the redesign they had done. Like they got in Tyson Hess. He's done so much great material for that series. You know, he did the animation, you know, the opening thing for Sonic Mania and a lot of other stuff. So I was curious to see what happened. And I think with Spider, with this new release, their method of putting a carrot on a stick and holding it above us, if they're going to do a reveal, they should actively make it a reveal. They should go into what this is about and stuff. And who knows, this... Um, this is all just going from the preconception of one image, so we may be entirely overthinking what this thing could be. Oh, we 100% are. <laughs> yeah. Um... Can I say one thing that's a bit of news for me before sure. we, before we finish? No. <sighs> right. Now, this is news for me only because of my sheer love, and I know it's stupid, but my sheer love for the Hunger Games. Yeah, go on. Proceed. This week... Nope, it was last week. We didn't have one last week. Anyway. Our great, unproblematic mother that does not um, talk about trans issues, our sweet, loved Suzanne Collins, um, the Hunger Games author, um, came out with a new book. Oh, yes. I, I've seen this one. Heart, the Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes. No. We know a lot about snakes. Exactly. You talk into one babe, no, I'm kidding. This is basically a prequel to The Hunger Games. So The Hunger Games happened around the 74th annual quarter, uh, around the... Quarter quarter. It, the 70, the, it was the 74th annual reaping, right? And then that was what happened with Katniss because she says I volunteer as trivia, all like that. Then the second one was about the 75th and then the third, and then the yeah. third was the uprising. This... It's about the tenth one. Right. And is this still a point of view book? Like it's done entirely from one perspective and it's just the protagonist says, I felt yes. this or someone said that. Yes. Right. And do you want me to tell you who that protagonist is? Sure, go on. President, President Snow. Coriolana Snow. The enemy oh. from the first ones. This is about his Hunger Games. Is his right. name really Coriolanus? Yes, because Somebody's I squint whenever I heard it. Remember when Hunger Games, you know, everyone's dressed like a knockoff Lady Gaga in the capital? Them wow. having names like Cornelius, I don't think is that far of a stretch. Oh, it's Can I be real with you? Oh, sorry. In regards to the, the capital and the Hunger Games being like, oh, everybody looks like Lady Gaga. If you think about it, our future probably will look like that. Only because everything nowadays that we, in regards to... um cosmetic surgery and co and regards to makeup and in regards to looking your most peak physique and everything like that there by the time that we get to the same stage that these people are at in order for the pretty and the rich to actually look pretty and rich they're going to need to do some wacky ass shit that sets them apart from everyone else mm. because cosmetic surgery like botox like lip fillers implants whatever, will be so cheap that you will be able to do anything and look whatever you want to. But then and uh, those people would need to up their game. You know what I mean? Right. And how is the book so far? Like, I've been curious about it. Like, I'd be honest, like, I haven't touched Hunger Games in ages. It was like the last young adult thing I was really into before I got really sick of the oversaturation. 
it kind of gives off the impression it's it's basically just his origin story if i'm going to be real from from where i'm at at the minute it's essentially how he was his family is the snows obviously but they're extremely poor john snow exactly but they're extremely poor and um it's essentially what way he's had to go around with dealing with the things in the capital rather than being in a district and having to come perform perform like as if it's in play but like right, come right. and fight basically it's just i don't know it's very it's a very unique perspective similar to what michael was saying about jojo rabbit being from the german perspective this is the complete opposite to what we get from katniss's story this is the capital's perspective which is what i like so that's why it piqued my interest whenever you said jojo rabbit earlier this is just an episode of very different perspectives it and is you know what that's important because in a time as divided as this it is important to have the different opinions but also the acknowledgement and respecting of others i feel is it's important as well for us to proceed so i think i'm gonna end this clusterfuck of an episode right here yeah this went into so many tangents i've got so much editing to do i have no clue how this is even gonna turn out you're doing amazing sweetie but hey <laughs> We had fun doing it. Dead weight? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, um, So, uh, just in the uh, description below, you'll find a link to the previously mentioned artist who did the icons. Her Etsy's open. She has commissions open. She does a ton of great work. And you'll also find links to some of our pages like Facebook, Twitter. We have also just set up an Instagram as well. All the good stuff. Exactly. And also remember in the, the uh, description down below, we'll say where the spoilers will be as well. So make sure that you skip if you don't want to have spoiled. I think if they've got this far into the video, I think they'll know. Thanks for your input. In fact, thanks for everyone's input. We're just going to wrap this up here. And I'm going to end with the positive words this time around. Pugs, not drugs. Period. Take care. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye, Jaina. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. <laughs>